The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. There is a judgment greater than anything you've ever known. It won't be long. Your life will pass by as a vapor and you will stand before the judgment seat of God. And every secret deed and thought Every wrinkle, every spot will be in view Before the one who knows all things The Lord of Lord and King of Kings You know the one you never knew While you have breath you have a choice to make in life. Amen. Turn away from your sin and believe on the risen Christ. You can find peace in Him from the judgment. That's to come He is the shelter From the coming storm All creation shakes at the mention of his name. He has power over life and death. Every knee will bow and tongue confess. Heaven and earth will proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of the Father will you bow. Will to his majesty he can save you from the might of all your sin this is a fight in which he stands in perfect victory while you have breath you have a choice to make in life Turn away from your sin And believe on the risen Christ You can find peace in Him From the judgment that's to come Shelter from the coming storm. While you have breath, you 
have a choice to make in life Turn away from all your sin And believe on the risen Christ You can find peace in Him From the judgment that's to come He is a shelter from the coming storm He's the only shelter from the coming storm Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray from the National Prayer Chapel. Today I'm entering into the third month of being crippled, having fallen, broken bones, waiting on Jesus to come with healing. All of that is very much affecting what I have to say on this broadcast, because as I have spent many hours praying through and thinking, and the Holy Spirit has been speaking to me. There was a man, a very wealthy man. He ran tin mines in Europe for Rome. His name was Nicodemus, meaning victor or conqueror and without a doubt he thought he was a victor he thought he had it together unfortunately john the baptist called him and his ilk snakes why would he call them that because they were experts in the religious law of israel but they didn't keep it They were experts in religion, but they didn't live it. That made John the Baptist very angry with him because John the Baptist was all about your word needs to match your actions. And if there's a divergence between your words and your actions, you're a snake. Well, that's not very complimentary, but this snake came one night seeking to talk with Jesus. Let me share why. Third chapter, book of John. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God. That's quite an admission. He never went to the he never went to school. He was not qualified as a rabbi. For no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. So he's seeking some accommodation between Jesus and the Sanhedrin. They knew at some point they were going to have to deal with this issue. Jesus replied and said, I tell you the truth, meaning... I'm going to tell you something that's ironclad truth. 
You need to catch this. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again or born from above. And Nicodemus answers very succinctly, How can a man be born when he is old? Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born? He was coming to make an accommodation with this new teacher. And this new teacher was having nothing to do with accommodation. Instead, he was making statements that sounded like a crazy man. Just wait today if you have the courage to listen to the entire message and not run off on some shallow errand. You'll want to say that also about Jesus. Sounds like a crazy man. Jesus answers, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. When you were born in the flesh, the water broke, and you were washed by your mother's water. And he adds to that, you must be, you must be born of the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. Now I want you to walk with me and simply ask the question, what does it look like to be born of the Spirit? This is an unknown experience in our modern day. I have very seldom talked with any person who would even begin to say that they have been washed by the Spirit of the living God. He says, you should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases, you hear its sound but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Now, he's not talking about the Holy Spirit here. Yes, he is in the sense that you're born of the Spirit, but he's talking about you or a human person. And he's saying a person who is born of the Spirit of the living God acts in ways that no one can understand. They look like the actions of a crazy man. They're they're giving. They're not following the norms and the customs of the day. They look like they've lost their minds. Some people have said that to me. Pastor, go to a doctor and get x-rays and get treatment, or you are crazy. Okay, I got it. No, I'm not. I'm following Jesus. I'm following the Spirit of the living God. I'm not making any judgments about you. I'm telling you what I'm doing. He goes on. How can this be? Nicodemus is, what? Come on. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus. 
And do you not understand these things? I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. Who are you people? The Pharisees. The Pharisees were the ruling junta of Israel under the Roman government. He says, Jesus said, I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? See, Jesus is is doing a very heavy number on Nicodemus. He didn't do this with the woman at the well. He didn't do this with a number of people. But Nicodemus has set himself up as a teacher of Israel. He is the authority of the law of God. So Jesus now just cuts hard and to the chase. He says, if you don't believe what I'm speaking about heavenly things, how could you ever believe anything that I say about earthly things? See, Jesus is a man from another place. Jesus didn't come out of Nazareth as God. He was born Bethlehem, but he was not Joseph's son. He was not born out of Joseph. He was born out of the Spirit of God coming upon Mary. He is a God-man. And so we come to this God-man. I know this sounds, sounds strange to those of you who are so given to technology and so wise, supposedly, in your scientific information. But what I'm telling you is true. And the evidence of that is the impact Jesus made with miracles and signs and wonders that no one else could do. And his teaching, particularly the Sermon on the Mount, and we'll go there in just a minute. I want you to hear something. So Jesus is coming in opposition, and and they don't fit together. They're, they're at odds one with another this God-man and this human man. And can I tell you, please, many of you listening to this broadcast have adopted certain items of what it means to be a Christian. But you're still almost totally at odds with Jesus. You don't have the peace of God in your heart. You don't have the trust to wait upon the Lord. You're going. You're you're doing your American life, and that's what you want. And if Christianity can help you do a better job with that wonderful American life, after all, you've got responsibility for house and car and, and responsibility for job and responsibility for children and wife and husband, You've got responsibilities to carry out, and in the process, you get yourself a very nice American life. That's not what Jesus was talking about. That's not what Jesus is even thinking about. 
Let me read on. Let's look at John, the third chapter. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven. That was Jesus, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. You see, what this is all about, let's just get right to it. What this is all about is a life in your flesh, in your body, doing what you want to do, going where you want to go, taking advantage of every opportunity, relaxing and having a good time, versus a life in the Spirit. A life in the Spirit where one walks in holiness. It's between a temporal life and an eternal life. It's between what do you want? Do you want to have this wonderful American life? And then Jesus say to you, Look, you had your heaven on earth. It's somebody else's turn now to have heaven, and you're going to hell. Versus a life in Jesus Christ, where your full attention and your full focus is on building the kingdom of Jesus, saving the lost and the dying, ministering to those in need. You get to choose. Let's go on. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that is, his one and only son of a kind. There's no one else, there's nothing else like Jesus in all of the universe. He was the creator God of heaven and earth. He was the creator of the universe. He's the one who set every power in place. They rebelled, but there will be a day of judgment for those who rebelled in the running of the earth. Satan, for example, will have a a bitter, dreadful judgment of fire. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light, because their deeds were evil. 
everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. Oh, hey, hang on. Your deeds are going to be exposed and your motives are going to be exposed. That's a given. You can't change that. That's declared in the heavenly realms. I named this broadcast today with a bit of humor. I named it Born Again on the Open Road. You see, what we're involved in here is a journey. Every person is involved in a journey. And at the end of the journey, we find out what's going to happen to us. We're not in charge of our lives. The day will come when your life will stand before the judge of the heavens and the earth, before Jesus Christ. He will be your judge. And you will need to explain to him your decisions. He already knows them. He already knows the result of those, but he's fair. Please understand, there is a judgment to come. Now, I want you to turn with me to Matthew, the fifth chapter. I was so privileged several years ago to stand on the Mount of the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount. It was in the midst of a banana uh, planting, but it was the same soil. It's where he did it. And I stood there, and I said, Jesus, please, Help me to understand. The Sermon on the Mount is not easy to understand. And the reason it's not easy to understand is that it cuts across almost everything we think or believe about how we should function as Americans. Many scholars of the past and godly men and women of the past, would say that the Sermon on the Mount is the New Testament Mount Sinai that Jesus came to tell us, okay, here's, here's the, here are the rules of the kingdom of God. Now, it's not as a law, so it's not written as a law. It's instead under the power of the Holy Spirit who moves in our hearts. But I want you to begin with me today with the first beatitude. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside. It's known today as the Mount of 
the Beatitudes. He sat down in the grass, in the meadow, lay before him. And his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. Now he's going to teach things that are utterly shocking if you can get a hold of them. And if you can get a hold of them, you might have the possibility of entering into the kingdom of God. There are very clearly two roads. They look like they're headed the same direction, but they are not. One is the narrow road, and one is the broad way. Most churches in America were built on the broad way. And their whole focus is a business focus, a charismatic focus, a a hero focus that's not on Jesus. We like these smooth-tongued preachers who say pretty words. When I was young, I used to listen to some of these pretty-tongued pastors. And the words would just flow so effortlessly off of their tongue at the funeral or at the wedding or whatever the service was or Sunday morning. Whatever it was. I'd say, I never could do that. How does he get those words to all line up and work together? First Beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Remember, we're talking here about spirit. We're not talking here about finances. We're not talking here about the American economy. We're not talking here about the American lifestyle. No, instead, what we're faced with here, blessed are the poor in spirit, literally, we're talking about the beginning of the path that will lead you into the Father. Remember, Jesus said, John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Well, what is the way? It's the, it's the road. It's the narrow path. And Jesus is saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. In other words, this is the entry place into the truth, not a lie. Now, here's where it gets very difficult. It's not easy. It's not the it's not the easy carnal method of the circus called the American apostate church. I am the way. I am the opening road that will lead you to truth. 
and will lead you into eternity on the, on the side of the Lord Jesus Christ. Follow him. Now, here's why it gets so very difficult. And it's going to be very obnoxious to your heart. Let me tell you why. The word poor in the Greek, there are several words. This word used here in the in the third verse of chapter 5 in Matthew. This word means I'm so poor, I can't do anything for myself to improve my situation. Now, Americans believe I can always do something to improve my situation. I just have to be willing to do it. I have to be willing to strategize. I have to be willing to lay it on the line. I have to be willing to take the second or third job. I have to be willing to cut back on my on my expenses. There's always something I can do. Maybe I even have to cut off the Internet. I have to be able to cut off the movie channel. I have to cut something. Not go out so often to eat. All of that has to do not with the Spirit of God. All of that has to do with the Spirit of man. And the strategizing for a prosperous, successful life in this life. Now, I'm telling you, blessed are the poor in spirit means the person who recognizes they cannot convert themselves. They can't change themselves. They're sinners. So what do they do? Instead of helping themselves, they acknowledge their true condition before a holy and righteous God. They acknowledge their sin. They acknowledge how impossible it is for them even begin to reach out. Part of what I've experienced in the flesh after I was crippled, I still don't go. I sit at home. I don't go out to eat, I don't go to the mailbox, I my steps are too big for me to get in and out of the house, so I'll sometimes stand at the open door and look out, enjoy the fresh air. I'm stopped. In the physical realm, I'm stopped. But now, in the spirit realm, I have to be Equally stopped. That's beatitude number one. Oh, how happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, step number one is you have to recognize before Jesus you have no power to save yourself. It is either by grace in Jesus Christ, transforming you 
and lifting you, washing you, and then lifting you by the Spirit. But you're not going to do it on your own. He has given you the power to acknowledge your sin and to make a decision about whether you love your sin or you love Jesus Christ. I made that decision. I love Jesus Christ. And I can't save myself. I talked recently with a man. Got all kinds of information. I'm not sure he's come to terms with how utterly incapable he is of saving his life for eternity. That's a really tough statement to make. But the more I talk with people, the more clear I am that most of us have been taught such lies about how to be saved that we don't know how to even go and enter into Jesus Christ. Well, I can tell you today, the only way you can enter into Jesus Christ is recognize your utter inability to enter into Jesus Christ. And you begin with what we commonly term repentance. There is no path into the heart of Jesus Christ save the path or the road of repentance. And repentance begins with a flat-out acknowledgement of how poor I am. That I have no ability to work hard and somehow change my situation. If it's not going to be done for me, I can't do it. So, We're talking here about the opening to the road, and it is on that road, that open road, that we are born from above. We're told that the kingdom of heaven will be given to those of us who are willing to stand before God and tell him our sin, and be honest with him, and acknowledge before Almighty God that we cannot save ourselves. And ask, O God, remove, wash, cleanse me of my sin. If you look Over here in John, the 8th chapter. Let me read this. Verse, uh, chapter 8, verse 34, 31. 
So the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But remember the passage I read in John 14. I am the way, the truth, and the life. So he's saying, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth. You will know Jesus, and he will set you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves to anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? We're already free. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Again, that ironclad statement that cannot be argued with. I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. We need to be set free. Please understand, I'm not just teaching you some intellectual stuff. I'm trying to teach you the simple gospel of Jesus Christ that will break the power of sin over your life. But you've got all these plans. You've got all of these strategies. Forget them. Stop. Stop going. Stop running. Stop going to your next assignment. Stop. 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 I can't emphasize that enough. This first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who cannot do anything for themselves. But theirs will be the kingdom of heaven. This is where you start in the process of being born from above. This is where you begin to understand. This is where you begin to understand how poor you are, how helpless you are. Your sin will, if you deal with it honestly, will rise up like a a monster before you. And you're going to have to stand before the sin of your heart and your life before Jesus. You come just as you are, without one plea, no excuses. You come as you are before Jesus. Now, how can you do that when you're proud? How can you come before Jesus without one plea when you're proud? And you can say, Jesus, I've done my best. 
I can't leave my sin because it has a grip on me. I can't break it. I'm helpless, but I've done my best. I've tried. What else could I do, Jesus? Be poor. Identify with Jesus that you cannot break the power of the drugs or the sex sin or the anger peace. You can't break the power that holds you fast in bitterness and anger. You can't hold and break the power of the past over your life. You can't restore all that you've stolen. You can't restore or make restitution for some of what you've done. You can't break it. I have to deal with this all the time. With Christians who think it's okay that they don't have the full victory over sin because Jesus has forgiven them and they're saved even though they're still walking in their wickedness. They've deceived themselves. They're afraid to be poor. Are you afraid to be poor? Are you afraid to just strip it down in front of Jesus and say, look, I am poor. I can't handle this. I can't change my heart. Are you ashamed of doing that? Does your pride stop you? Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. As I say those words, my heart is so moved with compassion for a man or a woman who just is so full of themselves that they can't admit. They can't admit before you their lies, their wickedness, their lust. And they want to hang on to it and go to heaven too, and you can't. Your word says you can't do that. But if you're walking in sin, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So, Lord, I come today saying there must be a a total new beginning for the American church, a total new beginning for those who would be Christian. And it must begin with utter poverty recognizing that we are in utter poverty and have no power to save ourselves. And, Lord, we've transferred, so we we know we can't do anything about the spirit realm, so we make up our own theology in the physical realm. We make up rules and regulations, and we make up lies, saying just do your best and everything else is fine. There's no 
need for drama in the Spirit. There's no need for the coming of the Holy Spirit. As we've got our our rituals, we've got our pretend. Oh, Lord, I, I watched in an Anglican church as the priest stood in front of the congregation and lifted up the bread above his head and with a look of great pride broke the bread and said a whole bunch of fancy words. But everybody knew he was filled with himself and with pride. Oh, Lord, I see it in church after church. I hear it from preacher after preacher. Lord Jesus, I come today pleading with you. Would you bring the American church into the reality of its absolute poverty of spirit, its absolute loss of all piety, its pride. Mighty God, would you break this spirit in America of we've got it together and we're on our way to heaven. And because they talk about the Holy Spirit and have somebody come and they jerk and they, Lord God, I am so sorry. We have so grievously offended thee to humble my heart. You humble the heart of your people. I know the entrance way to the open road being born from above is to be found in absolute humbleness of heart, recognizing our poverty of spirit. Please come, Jesus. Please, Jesus, and Lord, save me. I don't want to speak this word with any condemnation or pride or arrogance. Lord, it's not about me. It's about you. It's about you, Jesus. You come and deal with our heart. Would you open a realization in our minds and our spirits how utterly poor we are? Thank you, Jesus. I pray in your holy name. Amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress from the National Prayer Chapel. Thank you. Thank you for being here. I have something else on my heart I need to share. 
Do you know the agony of being crippled? Do you know the agony of not being able to function in the physical realm? I want to pray today for those of you who have to face this every day. You may have had to face it for years. I'm only into my third month. I'd like to pray for you. There's some of you who are crippled in your emotions. I'd like to pray for you. Lord Jesus, I want to lift up before you today the men and women who will listen to this broadcast who are crippled who have physical ailments. It wasn't your purpose that we should be crippled or have ailments because you said, by your stripes we are healed. That by faith in your blood, we are healed. It wasn't your purpose that we should live in this kind of pain and anguish. So, Lord, I'm asking in every person that is in anguish and pain today that you would help them to know their spiritual poverty, that they would confess before you any sin in their heart, any anger, any bitterness, and that you would come in mighty power with healing for these precious ones. And Lord, there are some who are having mental issues. And they don't understand why or how. But Lord, you do. And again with them, Jesus, these are precious children of yours. I ask that you would reach out with tenderness and kindness and bring healing into their hurting hearts. Lord, I recognize that it's easy to have lots of information. But information in the spirit realm does not heal a person. It's submission to you, Jesus. It's admitting before you, Jesus, that our hearts are broken and that we need you. And I'm asking, Lord, if a great cry could go up from people's hearts today, crying out for you, Jesus, asking you to come in mighty power and minister to each one of us, that you would heal us by your grace and by your strength. And, Lord, we will praise you and worship you and honor you. Thank you, Jesus. I pray in your holy name. Amen. I pray today for you. I pray Jesus will encourage your heart, will lift you up above whatever it is that you're suffering in or from. Finances may be the issue. 
a new job might be the issue. I don't know what it is you need. But if you'll come before Jesus and admit your poverty of spirit, yours will be the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Well, we're out of time for today's broadcast. We're going to continue tomorrow in the Beatitudes. You're going to notice in the Beatitudes this wonderful statement, how happy you are, and then how utterly broken you are. Happiness comes as a byproduct from obeying Jesus Christ, letting him fill our hearts, encourage our minds. Don't choose discouragement. Don't choose anything or anyone save Jesus Christ. And he'll meet you. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon. Him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, with great joy.